as a youth pastor in the last 25 years, get a chance to do a lot of things, a lot of fun things as well. One of the things that I've learned in my years of youth ministry as I get ready to transition to a new kind of ministry is I've learned that teenagers love to play games, right? They love to play games. But more than loving to play games, they love to play games in the dark. I don't know if this is a unique thing about youth groups, but somehow if you just turn off the lights in a game, suddenly it's more exciting. And I don't know, it's exciting because, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, nobody likes it truly dark because then they start screaming and yelling and running into each other and getting hurt. So there's always some kind of light, you know, that comes in through the window or the, the moon shining, the lights or something. But something about the dark just makes it more exciting. And part of the excitement is that people do get scared, right? They're out there and they're not sure who's out there, who's going to tag them in the game, who's going to be there. You know, one time Jacob DeValve showed up in this weird suit and scared all the kids to death. I mean, there's something about it that you just like, you find exciting, right? Because let's be honest this morning. Who doesn't find it enjoyable watching someone else get scared? <laughs> Let's be honest this morning. We all enjoy that, don't we? So I, I kind of want to share a story with you this morning, okay, that has to do with this whole theme of light and darkness and the fun we have of scaring other people. And it's about my good friend, Gerald. Most of you know that I have a good friend, Gerald, uh, who has been my good friend here for 12 years. I, I don't know if Gerald's in here uh, this morning, but I'm sure he'll hear about this if he's not. Gerald and I got into this routine early on where we just had this challenge. We were going to scare each other. We were going to find new and creative ways to scare each other. So I'd like to share with you the story of the very first time that I ever scared Gerald. We were locking up after youth group. It was a Sunday night. It was early on. And there was other meetings going on upstairs. And so we had told everyone, we'll close down the building. So we're closing down the downstairs, shut off all the lights, come upstairs. We had parked up front because we knew we were doing this. And we were shutting down all the lights up here. And it was December. And the Christmas trees were up on the stage. And the lights were on the Christmas trees. And, and I got into my head. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get Gerald. Here's how I'm going to do it. I said, Gerald, you see those lights on the trees? He's like, yeah. I said, I just turned those off like 15 minutes ago. And now they're back on. And he's like, no, shut up. He's like, that's not true. I'm like, yes, it is true. He's like, come on now. I said, listen, just go shut those off really quickly, okay? And then we'll be done, and I'll lock up here, and we'll go out. So I told Gerald to run and shut them off. Fortunately, Gerald doesn't run to do anything, because I needed time to set this up. So Gerald goes to shut off the lights. While he's going up to shut off the lights, I go out. My car is parked over there. I move my car back around so he won't see it when he comes out. His car is parked straight out there. I go around. His car is unlocked, <laughs> and I crawl into the back seat of his car, because I'm going to scare him when he comes out. So things are working like clockwork. I'm just sitting in the backseat. I'm peeking up over the window. And Gerald, right through those doors, right at the front doors of Trinity Co. Church, I see the door open. And I see Gerald stick his head out. And he does this. <laughs> and he's looking around. And he steps out further. And he sees that my car is gone, okay? And then he pauses for a minute. And out of nowhere, his pocket, he pulls out a, a, a lamp, one of those headlamps that you put on your head. And he turns it on, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. Why does this kid have a headlamp in his pocket randomly that he's carrying around? Well, he puts that light on, and this time I'm just laughing too hard. I'm like, i got to lay down in the back seat. But I, I'm grateful because I can see the light kind of bobbing, so I'm kind of gauging how close he's getting to me. And when he gets to just about the right spot, I hop up in the back seat of his car, put my face against the window, and scream, ah, like that. And Gerald screams, okay? And I see this light shake and start to go backwards really fast like this. And in Gerald's inimitable voice, I hear, that's not funny. That's not right. Gerald thought that this light was going to protect him in the darkness. <laughs> it was going to make sure that he saw what was coming. But of course, it did none of that. But isn't it odd that he had a light in his pocket that he just thought, well, he thought there may be a time when it's dark. And I'm going to need a light, right? And that's true in all of our lives. There's going to come a time when there's darkness, and we know there's darkness. 
And we know that the solution to darkness, the best solution, is light, isn't it? And the whole theme of light and darkness is just this huge theme that's found throughout the entire Bible. In fact, it's found in the very beginning, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and without shape. And there was darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then the Lord God spoke and he said, let there be light. And it says that God separated the light from the darkness. And God has been separating the light from the darkness ever since. For throughout the Old Testament, he's constantly challenging his people to walk in the way of the light and to not walk in darkness. And by that he means walk in the ways of the Lord your God, not in the things that are not of God. And in the New Testament, we find this theme picked up again very beautifully and poetically in John chapter 1, which I think should be the very first chapter of the New Testament. And in language that is intentionally reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1 begins like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And Jesus said that he was the light. He also told us that we are the light of the world. And throughout the rest of the New Testament, the writers again pick up this theme of you need to walk in the light. You need to live as children of the light. You need to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. That there is light and there is darkness. And these themes represent the cosmic themes for us, right? The difference between good and evil. The difference between life and death. The difference between love and nothingness. The difference between the true living God and everything that is not of God. Light and dark. It's a theme that's found often throughout the book of Isaiah, the text that Matt read for us this morning that I wanted to share with you about. And it's this theme of light and darkness that flows throughout the book of Isaiah. And it fits into the overall setting in this way. This was written to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And it was God saying, listen, you are my people and I've called you for a purpose. I want you to become a light to the world. And Isaiah says, even a light unto the Gentiles, a light to the ends of the earth. I want you to show people what God is really like. And God's only ever really wanted two things from his people. Really, just two things. Just will you worship me? Will you worship me from your heart? And will you treat other people well? Isn't that what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? To worship him right and to love others as yourself. To treat other people well. And any critique or criticism God had of his people it generally revolved around these things. They either weren't worshiping God, or they were worshiping other gods, or their worship was somehow off, or they weren't treating other people very well. They were neglecting what God wanted them to do as far as loving their neighbor and taking care of those in need. And in Isaiah 58, just prior to the passage we read, that's what we find God doing. God's coming to his people and saying, look, I need to rebuke you. I need to correct you. You're worshiping me, and this time he's talking about fasting. Your fasting is a way to worship me, but, but it's not pleasing to me. Because you've got all this pride and this arrogance, and, and you're just not understanding what it's truly about. And you're not really helping other people. You see, you're fasting, and other people are going hungry. And you're, people are being exploited, and people are being oppressed, and people are being taken advantage of. 
And he's like, this is not the way it should be. You need to stop doing this. You need to worship me truly from your heart and you need to take care of others. And he combines those two in such a way that I've come to believe that the Bible teaches, that Jesus teaches, that you can't have one without the other. That true worship should always result in a better life for other people. Because doesn't the Bible teach us that we can't love God if we don't love other people? That those two things are so tied together that God says it's really just one and the same. I want you to worship me and I want you to treat other people well. In other words, you need to love me and you need to love others as you love yourself. And those two things have to come together. And if they don't, then what results is darkness. But he says if those things were to come together, if you were to start to do these, these acts of compassion and kindness and justice, as well as worship me in a way that's proper and honoring and respectful, man, then your light's going to shine. Then your light's going to shine bright, brighter than anything the world has ever known. So let's take a little deeper look, if we will, with me at Isaiah chapter 58, if you're still there, beginning in the second half of verse 9. The Lord says to his people, if you do away with this yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and the malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Do you know there's still a lot of darkness in this world? And darkness, you know, we can describe a lot of things to darkness, but in this text, it's, it starts with oppression. Do you know there's still oppression in this world? I mean, we've been fighting different kinds of oppression since the beginning of time. We think of slavery as a real extreme type of oppression, right? We've been fighting that from God's people were enslaved. I mean, from the beginning of time, we've been fighting that. In our own country, we got rid of slavery. We had the civil rights movement. And yet today, there is still racism that exists. And racism is that systematic oppression of people. It's not a feeling that you have. Your feeling is your prejudice, and we're all prejudiced. But it's only racism when you have the power to actually do something with your prejudice to hurt someone else or to keep someone else down or to deny them access or to treat them unfairly. And oppression still exists. There are groups of people that we point our finger at, right, that the text says, that we talk maliciously about. And God says we're supposed to help them. So how would that apply to us today? I think about groups that, that, we, that we tend to, to uh, that have been oppressed, that we tend to point the finger at, that we tend to talk bad about, like immigrants that come to our country, or the gay and lesbian community, or the elderly, or the disabled, or yes, still even today, some other races and cultures, just to name a few. And I would say, listen, what the Word of God teaches is that our worship must result in a better life for them. True worship should result in a better life for the people who are most vulnerable in our society. That's what Isaiah 58 says. It's fine that we get together and that we worship and that we sing praises to God and that we, this light kind of shines while we're here. But if it doesn't result in a better life for those out there, then it's not true worship. True worship always results in a better life for others. Because if it's not good news there, then it's not good news anywhere. That's what I believe. Jesus said that his people would be a light for the whole world. They would be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. He said, this message of the good news of the gospel must be preached everywhere before I come again. It's for every person. And until it's good news in those communities, it's not good news anywhere. And we Christians have to realize that if we want our light to shine, that we need to be about good news. We need to satisfy the needs of the oppressed, right? Come on, that's what it says. It says, don't find out what they believe first. 
Well, let me find out what they believe and if I can associate with them. No, it says they've got needs. Help them. It doesn't matter what the person who's hungry believes. Well, I'm not sure if they have the right view of the atonement. No, they're hungry. Give them food. Because when you do, the light shines. He says your light's going to rise. It's going like, to be like the dawn. It's going to be like noonday in the middle of the night. I mean, this is a powerful light. You know, when Jesus said we're the light of the world, okay, you don't want to hide the light, right? You don't put anything over it, but you let it shine. It's like a lamp on a stand. And, and we get this image. We all get our little candles, right, our little flashlights, and we say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Or we put on our little light like a headlamp, like Gerald did. We're like, this is the light of Christ, and I'm going out into the darkness. And th that's an okay image, but it only takes us so far because it's like, man, that's so small compared to the darkness. The light imagery here is like the sun rising. Think about that, man, isn't that awesome? You know what it's like, you've all seen it, right? Do the dawn just before the sun comes up and you start to see it getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And that's the light of God. And when Jesus says that we're the light of the world, we're like, oh, wait a minute. Jesus, you're the light of the world. But Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, Father, the glory that you gave me and the glory is the light of God, give it to those who believe. Jesus prayed that you would have the glory that he, whoa. The glory of Christ? Yeah. It's been given to us as his people. And we must stop and pause here for just a minute and remember that it's given to us together. So often we read these Old Testament scriptures and we take them as personal promises. Like this is my personal promise of satisfaction and guarantee. It's like, maybe. But at first and foremost, it was a promise for the people of God. So these promises, friends, are for you and for us as the people of God as brothers and sisters together. In other words, if we bring all of our lights together, boy, then that light really begins to shine. And so what does God promise? Not to us individually, but to his people. Read on, he promises this thing. He says, I will guide you always. I will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And I also will, oh, I forgot the third thing again. I did that Saturday night. I didn't do it first service, Frank. But someone help me out, what's the third thing? Strengthen, strengthen your bones, strengthen your frame, strengthen your body, yes, thank you. It's participatory, I did it on purpose, get you guys involved. <laughs> the Lord God will guide, he will satisfy, and he will strengthen. And that's exactly what I think we're experiencing, right? We've come together as the people of God and we're discerning, God, where are you guiding us? Where are you leading us? Where are you showing us where we should go, right? And that God would, that God would satisfy our needs, right? God would provide for us, even in a sun-scorched land. Even when we feel like, man, we don't have a lot right now. But he says, man, if, you, if, you'll, if you'll feed the hungry, if you'll spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, you'll always have enough. I'll always provide for you. That's God's promise to his people as they work together, and that he'll strengthen us. He'll strengthen our frame. He'll strengthen our bones. That's the shape of who we are, right? God doesn't necessarily promise to make us any bigger or any smaller. He says, look, you're the size I want right now. You're the size I've designed you to be. And let me strengthen that, and let me just equip you to do even more with what you've got. Those are the promises of God for God's people when they walk in the light and not in the darkness. And then the promises are not only for God's people, but for therefore the community at large. Continue to read on. And if I don't remember this, you're going to have to help me again. He says that we'll rebuild, right, the ancient ruins. We'll raise up the old foundations. That we'll repair the broken walls. And the streets that, where people don't want to live anymore will become streets where people want to live again. That's the promise for the community. And I began to think, oh God, could you do that today? And some of you are beginning to see where I'm going with this, right? So I started thinking about Hartford. 
especially as I read those last verses. I thought, wow, God, could that be true today? God, could that be true today that you would raise up a community of faith in Hartford that would rebuild the ancient ruins, that would raise up the old foundations? For some of you know that Hartford was founded to be a Christian light and witness to all of New England, that the Reverend Thomas Hooker, Unfortunate name today, but a fine name back then. Some 400 years ago, brought together a group of Christians, and they stood right there in Hartford. You can go to the old state house, and you can stand, as we've done with the Hartford Project, on the spot where he stood. And this was their prayer. Lord, make Hartford a city on a hill, a light for all of New England. Hallelujah. Is God going to raise up those old foundations? Is God going to continue to hear the prayers that are being poured into that? God, raise up Hartford, raise up Connecticut to be a light for New England. Hallelujah. Man, if you've ever complained or angst about the darkness that's in New England, start rejoicing because the light is being coming. The light is shining into the darkness. And what about the walls that are broken? Well, walls provide protection and they provide an identity for the ancient cities. And Hartford is perceived as a place that's not safe and not a very positive place to be. Would there be a people of God that would repair those walls of protection and identity and say Hartford is now a safe place and Hartford's a good place? And finally, in those places where no one wants to live, would God do a mighty work to say we're going to restore those streets so that people want to live there again? And I believe that God has laid that on my heart. I believe that God is drawing together a group of people they're going to participate in this. Because that's what God is always about. So this promise was for Israel. God, is this promise for us? And I hear the voice of God saying, yes, because this is about my kingdom. I came. Jesus Christ came. He announced the kingdom of God. He said, this is the way I want it to be. I'm always about renewing and restoring the creation that I made, that I love, that I care about. And so our vision for Hartford City Church is to be people who are experiencing God's beautiful restoration. Our mission is to glorify Jesus Christ, to shine the light of Christ, and to bless the city of Hartford, a place where our worship and our work go hand in hand, where both the giver and the recipient are blessed, where no one is left out because the good news is for everyone, where people come together from all different sizes, shapes, and backgrounds, and as they come together, the light becomes stronger. And so the title of the message today was simply turn on the light. Let the light shine. That's all you have to do. Light does its work pretty efficiently, doesn't it? It chases out the darkness. We spend our lives trying to get rid of the darkness, right? As if you could shoo it away. How many of you, did anybody wake up early in the morning and try to get the darkness out of your house? Do you go around with a broom trying to sweep it out? Get this darkness. We're fighting the darkness. I gotta, I gotta live better. I gotta stop sitting so much. I gotta get rid of all this darkness. Get rid of it. You know, it's just turn on the light. Turn on Christ. Live in the presence of Christ, man. What does the light do? And Man, th there's a time that's coming when we're just going to be running around turning on all the lights. Because some Christians feel like, I just got this little light of mine, and it's dark, and it's only me holding this candle. And I think a time's coming where God's going to raise up a bunch of people, and you're going to be like, wow, there's a bunch of people following Christ. There's a light that's going brighter and brighter. Just as we've said even today, there are people who yet don't know that we're going out to reach, to share the light of Christ with them. The darkness will not overcome it. The darkness at times doesn't understand it. But John promises those who do, those who believe and receive, they will give the right to become children of God. Children of God. And to live in the light. Well, finally, Isaiah says in chapter 60, 
he says to the people of God, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. It's time for us to arise. It's time for us to shine. It's time for us to get rid of the darkness. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. It's time to do away with the hatred and the deeds of darkness. It's time to turn on the light and live in the light. And here's the thing. Secret for you this morning. Guess what? This verse is not just for Hartford. It's for Trinity Covenant Church. It's for Manchester and the towns that you live in. God is calling you to arise and to shine right here in this place so that the community will be restored and renewed so that people will be blessed, so that God will be worshiped and other people will be treated well, so that the light will continue to shine and push out the darkness. Claim it, believe it, and live in it. Turn on the lights, arise and shine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, the true light that gives light to everyone and everything, we welcome and acknowledge your light in our lives. Jesus Christ, I pray that you would shine so brightly that all the darkness we feel in our heart and in our spirit would be chased away. That all the darkness in our world, in society, in systems, that darkness would just scatter and flee in the presence of true light. Let your light shine in our hearts. Let your light shine through us even as we confess in this next song that we sing. Amen.